BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome, welcome, welcome one and all to Knife Talk, the only podcast that takes knife making seriously. We take it very seriously, in fact. Um, joined with me today are Jeff Fader of Fader Knives, Moreco Marmassi of Marmassi Fire Arts, and myself, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. We hope you're all having a great week. How are things, guys? Doing good. Good. Mareko, how are you doing, Mareko? I'm doing good. I'm at the island. Uh, I'm at the lake house on the island in the Puget Sound, and hopefully uh, trying to get some relax, some relaxing downtime. Um, but honestly, oh, I'm no. feeling a little, a little, <laughs> little small part of me still feels a little anxious just thinking about all the shit I got to do still. Uh, so, but I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to. Take it easy. Uh, the kid and I actually just went razor clam digging a couple of days ago, which was a blast. The beach uh, we had to go to, there's usually multiple beaches that are open and available, uh, but there's only one this time. And um, so I was kind of worried it was going to be super busy. And typically the weather isn't that nice in the afternoon at the beaches in Washington in the winter. Imagine that. Um, but it was fucking stunning i'll have to send you guys a picture i took a panoramic and it was absolutely beautiful uh really nice sunset it was somewhat warm even though we're on the coast it wasn't even that windy uh we went to this beach that is the only beach airport in the lower 48 it's called capelis state airport wow. and uh it was super fun it was a lot of fun. And what does that mean? That what is a what is a beach airport as opposed to it, it means the landing strip is on the beach. Huh. Yeah. Uh so the beach is wide enough and firm enough there that plane airplanes can land on there with still like people out clam digging and cars parked along the beach and all that shit. It's crazy. Um and then wow. Oh god, the last time I went How you clam, get how are you getting the was, clams up? With a I, I usually a clam gun. So basically, it's a cylinder with a purge hole and handles on it. And then you block the purge hole as you pull it up, and it pulls up a cylinder of sand. And then you just dump it out, and hopefully the clam's in there. And if not, you shoot another one. And hopefully it's in there. And if ah. not, then you got to dig by your hand. By hand. Yeah. yeah. Craig's always, oh, wow. you know, purging his hole with a clam. Always. With a clam. <laughs> That's what the harsh It's on my for. Christmas list, a clam gun. <laughs> <laughs> Extra large yeah. perch hole, please. 
so silly. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh we did good though we killed it we we both hit our limit which was 15 clams each uh in an hour the last time i went razor clam digging was with a, a buddy and it took us three hours to hit our limit it was a bitch and it was rainy and it was nighttime and we had headlamps and you couldn't see where the clams were uh yes or a couple days back when i went with the kid you could see all the shows it was awesome so it was a blast it was a really nice. good razor clamming experience uh the kid had a great time uh it's gonna be a hard one to beat honestly but then the follow-up is you got all these damn clams now and you gotta clean them so i spent like <laughs> like three and a half or four hours cleaning them yesterday um which is just part of it it's just part of it but they're gonna be so good fried up and so i'm excited move forward how how are you gonna serve them fried with yeah so i like to uh, so i'll dredge them in flour and then i hit them in egg um and then i uh, finish them in matzo meal matzo meal is a great coating i found Uh, i've been doing it for the last couple years now and so i hit it with the matzo meal and uh and then just fry it in some like vegetable oil or whatever and uh and serve it with like a like a lemon garlic kind of aioli kind of dip and it is awesome it's so good damn it's so good and the way that i have to send you a picture of this too the way i clean the razor clams is uh usually people will just rip the foot off and then have the body meat separate a buddy of mine showed me how to clean the razor clam so you keep it all together and uh and so you just have this like nice mixture of kind of like not necessarily chewy but um it just various textures um and where the foot is is the most tender kind of i don't know what to liken it to it's like a it's like a perfectly medium rare cut of steak it's awesome it's so good so we're looking forward to them but otherwise just chilling send send me a pic of your meaty clam (laughs) (laughs) one thousand percent i'm doing it right now uh, yeah, nice fucking it. guy. Craig, how's your clam? <laughs> um, it's good. It's good. It's afternoon here. The house is just emptied. Um, I'm all good here. Um, yeah, we're back in France. Um, finally. Uh, although we've just booked a huge trip back to the UK, but anyway, that's another story. Um, it's good. It's good. The we came back and the sun has been shining. We've been back three days now, and it's been t-shirt weather outside eating. Amazing, amazing. So really happy. Um, I've been working on a project for a little while. I haven't really spoken about it on the show, but um, do you remember the um, the uh, tactical butter knife that I did that had the slot? Yes. The slot. Um, well, I got contacted a while back about this from a restaurant, and it's, it's not the normal sort of restaurant that I work with. This one is more sort of a canteen, and they've got a bunch of them all around France. Um, and they were like, they'd like to use that design. Um, like, you, you know, could we have a, you know, a set of cutlery, as in you know, knives, oh. forks, spoons, and so on? So so, so we've been working with them. Um, but the order, what started off as a small order, it's just grown and grown and grown. So there's there's very little sort of money in, in each unit, but you know, altogether it comes out to be quite a big contract. Um, but what's been really interesting is I've been speaking with a, well, I suppose they're a potter um, because they're doing ceramics, but they're not being turned. Um, but if you, if you imagine the, the slot in that, that butter knife that I shared the pictures of, Imagine a knife, fork, and spoon all having that same slot. I know. It's going imagine like a, a ceramic sort of mound, and they could all stack up inside of that. So they'd stack oh. up on top of each other, t- taking very little room, you know? Um, so, yeah, so I've been speaking with the potter, you know, giving them dimensions and all that kind of thing. So they're making a bunch of these, these holders 
And the idea is you'd just be able to slap one on the table with sort of 10 knives and forks on it and so on, and, you know, and people can be away. So, yeah, it's quite interesting working with that kind of restaurant, which is very different to sort of the, the high-end sort of bespoke stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's been fun, and that's been chugging along for the last few weeks. And it's only this week we've really had sort of final confirmation that it's happening. So it's been good. Very nice. intrepid company. Intrepid? Yeah. I mean, usually uh, restaurant restaurants aren't like – designing flatware to that yeah, extent yeah. With, with potters and stuff like that. So it makes you think that, like, you know, they got some money to spend. They they have. They're, they're, they're a huge chain. I'm sure everybody in France would know them. But they're, yeah, they're massive. But, um, you know, they're not they're not high-end. They're very much, I'd say, it's sort of canteen. I liken it to, when I was speaking to a friend about earlier today, to the, the canteen in Ikea, or Ikea. Um, it's Ikea. that kind of place, you know. Ikea. And they're... they're yeah, Carly's everywhere. listening, so just to let you know the the Dam- I got messages from Damasil. Damasil is listening, so she, she, she'll, she'll stop being a She'll join in. <laughs> she did. <laughs> well, so she's going to awesome. join in because she's got a fucking message for us. But it's IKEA. 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 Okay. Yeah. So very much like those kind of canteen style things. Yeah. So so it's been good. So it's been a good sort of work week um, regarding what's going on here at the house, the the studio. Um, will be finished. So this time next week, I'll be sitting in my warm, well-lit, well-acoustically-treated studio. So I cannot wait for all that to happen. Yeah. Look at you. It's all good. Look at all you. Good. King of the empire. King of the, the empire. empire. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff World, what's going on? Well, it's been busy. I, I, I had a, you know, I, a couple of weeks ago, I said, or actually in January, I said I got a doer a full with liquid nitrogen. And I've been like trying to figure out how many knives I can get cryode in that doer so i've been hauling ass and we're up to now i've key treated and cryoed 75 knives at at that doer in two in two months in just under two months we've been hauling ass and i'm going to try to see if i can knock out another 25 and make it even 100 just because i got all these messages when i said how much i paid for the doer i was like what do you pay so much for well i'm in westchester county ladies and germs it's it ain't you know it's ain't it's ain't a handout you know so i'm trying to maximize everything and this has been a really good week and and um actually i'm going to talk about something and i thought i'd go into something that we could talk about as a as a trio, as a knife talk podcast. So I got, uh, I've been doing, a, we, I caught up on my uh, customs. I have, a, we're getting, getting some more in and I'm, I'm getting booked to start to do some of the customs starting them now. And then they're going to be due in, in, in March, which is fine by me. And we're, we got a good pace. And we've been doing a lot of like one-off knives, tons of one-off knives, tons of the cosmic drift. I'm really excited about it. And we started to do, you know, activating the newsletter more and, kind of gauging where people are and stuff like that. And it's been a lot of fun because I've been using a lot of old material and not old material, but like material that I've had sitting around that I just wanted to use. Mm. And one of the pieces I had was I got uh, Koi Baker sent me a uh, really nice piece of uh, Baker Forge and, Baker Forge and Tool uh, Raindrop Go My, Go My mm. which has a layer of copper in it. And I had been, it had been sitting in my, he'd sent it to me a couple of years ago and I just never got to it. And I thought, well, this is the perfect opportunity. So I made a knife out of this Go Mai and it was really easy to work with material. And we've made jokes in the past about like copper Go Mai and all that shit is all like, you know, the crossfit of knife making and stuff like that. I had a great time making <laughs> it and I did a reel about it and it really went well and, and, um, the interesting thing about Go Mai, so Go Mai has a core. This particular was a, 
80 CRV2. It had a copper layer and then a jacketed with uh, pattern welded steel or Damascus on the outsides. The interesting thing about it was when you're grind when you're pre-grinding before this material, the copper sticks out whether you etch it or not. Sure. So you have like a you you see you can see where your core is because you you know that your your the copper if you take away the copper there's the core. Oh, so it yeah, was a yeah. really really easy way to kind of figure out where the jacketing ends and where it starts and then you don't have to write lines you don't have to dip in the acid every five minutes mm -hmm. and it was like it was really good and it, and i used you know it would it heat treated easy koi was awesome with the heat treating and they make really nice stuff and i etched it nice and i used mareko's uh coffee treatment i you know i talked to all these people and i used all this stuff and it was a lot of fun what was interesting was and I wonder, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, and I want to know what you guys think. Talking about, we talk about innovation, we talk about technology, we've been talking about AI a lot. It comes up all the time. It comes up, you know, the idea of what manufacturing is now and how things are changing. I've been talking to a lot of people on on um, on Full Blast about that, just in general, about like how we see ourselves as makers and knife makers and whatever, and how. Technology has allowed us to make things that we wouldn't be able to have made before. And what I was coming to the con what we came to the conclusion with a number of different guys, Jimmy, Duresta, and, and Chris Zepp, and all these master bladesmiths, is there seems to be that technology now has made it so easy for people to get involved with making industrial stuff recreationally. And I wonder if AI and, and these tech, even you know, CNC laser jet cutting and getting things water jet cutting, it's convenient, but is it taking away experience? What do you guys think? It's. I mean, that technology again, already exists, right? And and it's being used in a commercial setting, and so it takes some of that heart. I feel like but, I guess that that human touch away, and and I think it. I don't know. It, it, it's. I guess it's all comes down to the person and what kind of joy they get out of it. But for me, um, I think that, I mean, there might be some fun and joy in some of the aspects, but I'm for me personally, I'm always going to want to do, be hands-on with my grinding. So you want the experience. Yes. For that's sure. see, that's, that's the thing. And, and when I say experience, I'm not referring to like enjoyable experience. I'm talking about the experience of, Knowing how to do something, knowing how to, you know, punch a hole, you know, hit a center punch for with a hole and then make your hole straight, make your, and, and, and it, what it was interesting to me was I, I, you start to see, you know, grinder companies are popping up every five minutes and they're making things easier and new forge companies and new this. And, and there's, you know, coal ironworks has been selling more hydraulic presses than ever before. And people are buying more power hammers and you're getting all these, you know, these techniques and these, these technological advancements to make mm -hmm. things easier. But what you're seeing is is a lot less of the experience of having to work hard and kind of like having the years behind you or the time behind you to grow knowing what you're supposed to be doing in a shop. Does that make sense? Yeah. Makes sense, but I'd, I'd have a counter-argument to Go that. ahead. Let's do it. Um, and that would be that, you know, we, we always say this, but it's not as simple as buying a CNC machine um, and hitting go. Of course, there's a whole there's a whole bunch right. of skills that you need for that, and I think as much as there's def there's obviously still definitely a place for you know traditional makers making everything as much as they can by hand, um, and you know I enjoy doing that when I do that too, 
Um, but I also enjoy that whole sort of educational side of things of always learning new stuff. For sure. And I think, you know, the fact that we've now got desktop machines that you can buy for, you know, a few hundred dollars, um, that'll do sort of CNC work for you. And, you know, 3D printing, all that kind of stuff. We're seeing more and more people use these these technologies in in what is, what is still be a handmade object, I believe, to be. You know, it's not mass-produced. Um, but I just think a lot of people don't realize that the actual work that goes into that, it, it isn't just, you know, download a preset, press go, and you've got yourself a knife. It really isn't. And I think going forward, I think maybe in 50 years' time, People will be thinking, I can't believe that you, you you had to use like a CAD program to design it first. You're not letting the AI do the design part as well. You know, I just think we we've just evolved and things are evolving at at a much much higher rate. So when we say you know you know I can't believe you're not you're not punching that by hand using a drift or whatever, um, I think maybe in as close to sort of you know fifteen twenty years, people will be saying I can't believe you used a CAD system to design that as if that's archaic. Things move on, and I think you know I'm I'm okay with that i think if if thing if the quality of the end object is worse uh, why would you take that approach um but when the quality can be you know uh you know up to, up to the same standard or even better you know to much much higher tolerances i think why why not why not take that option i'm not but, saying know. it's bad what yeah, i'm oh, no, saying no, I understand is, that. what i'm yeah, saying is that. is like and i'm going to take you to task a little bit because for years you you've you've referred to like profiling and drilling holes is the dumb work and I'm, not, I'm just, I'm not taking you to task, really. I'm just saying the word because it sounded cool out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah. It's, but, it, the, but it's like, you know, this past, you know, let's say month and a half, I've been, do, we've been doing knives. We haven't done any late. I do have water jet cut. I get water jet cut stuff done from the New Jersey Steel Baron all the time. Mm-hmm. I decided that I wanted to, the last 75 knives, we've done everything by hand. When I say by hand, I'm not saying we forged them all. I'm saying we stock removed, we profiled them all, drilled them all, we did them all, we made them all the same. Yeah. And I felt as though that there was a degree of experience in how are we going to knock, make sure all the holes are the same? How are we going to make sure this is the same? How are we going to make sure this is the same? Mm-hmm. How are we going to make sure all these knives are the same to the down to the weight? And it was this idea of the experience of figuring out manufacturing, my manufacturing ways in which to guarantee or get close to guarantee that you're getting the same product. Now, I could have water jet cut everything. It probably would have saved me a ton of money on labor. But I felt the need to have the experience, and I'm saying experiences in, like, understanding how I'm going to go knock these things out in a, you yeah. know, like a productive way. And it but would, I think... Go ahead. I think you could take that to, to the other side of things as well, whereas um, a monkey like me will just have, like, a toy CNC machine, basically, just, you know, just for trying things out and making templates, that's what I use mine for mainly. But then you get somebody like Aaron Goff, who has put years and years and years and become a master at, at, at using his. Um, you know, so that, that you do get that, that level of experience required and that amount of sort of deep learning on, on this side of things as well. Well, here's the interesting thing about Aaron Goff. Now, obviously, we know. I mean, he's like the CNC master. But if you watch his videos, he also knows how to do it He's put the experience in the, he has the experience of being able to make them by hand as well. Completely, yeah. So, you know, he's an example of, I know how to do this. I understand what the problems, the things that can happen. And now I'm kind of like 
getting, you know, upping the game in terms of the technology. And it kind of made me think about the idea of like, you know, we talk about like there's sometimes in guys who soccer removal, there's nothing wrong with it or nothing wrong with it. We know uh, we I think I know why now unconsciously why stock removal guys get mad when blacks bladesmiths say, Oh, you only, you're a stock removal guy. And then why bladesmiths get angry or angry, but like, you know, salty at someone who's just a stock removal guy. And I believe that it, a lot of it has to do with that concept of experience, like having mm. experience as a bladesmith, understand having an under, deep understanding of where it all comes from. Mm. And I feel as though that it all comes from this idea of like how we see the future how we see ourselves in it and what's our, you know, what's our level of experience in this, you know, craft. My TED talk is over. Sure. Wakanda forever. <laughs> Wakanda we forever, like, baby. Wakanda forever. Think. Adults having a proper chat. Wowzers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Prep this fucking show. God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, if, if <laughs> to take things back to, you know, using CNC and so on, if you want to do that um, and without having to download any sort of software, a perfect introduction, which ties very well with this chat we've just had, um, head on over to knifeprint.com. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a CNC tool in the browser. You do it all in the browser. Really helpful tutorials on how to get you started. Design a knife. And you know what? You can press print and they'll cut one out to steal or send one to you as well. Um, it's an excellent, excellent service. Go take a look. Knifeprint.com. Okay. I think, I think from now on when I, in this episode, when I make a point, I'm going to yell Wakanda forever afterwards. I'm in the middle of Wakanda forever right now. So. Is it? All right. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Well, it's fucking Black Panther. God damn you. How <laughs> oh, dare sorry. you. Show okay. some respect. <laughs> Prince oh. Namor. Just coming back to last week, actually, what was the Super Bowl result? Did oh. you have a win? The fucking Chiefs won, and it was like a fucking. It was awesome. It was an incredible game, and uh, it was an incredible game. And everyone thought the fucking Eagles were going to win, and the Chiefs pulled it out at the end. And Matt Stagmer was right, and he don't don't count out old Pat Mahomes. So, congratulations, and here's to Philadelphia. You've lost the World Series, and you've lost the Super Bowl. But you did win the slam dunk championship last night, so congratulations to the 76ers. Nice. Okay, then. Shall we do some questions? All the time. Okay. Um, Mareko, would you like to take the first? Absolutely. Uh, this first one is from Brody. Uh, he says, hello, is Mareko there? Question. I've only just heard that Mareko was on Forge and Fire, so I went back and watched <sighs> his episode again. Beautiful blade there. Uh, question about the show. Oh, something just happened. All right. Question about the show. When did uh, you do the interviews, and do people really have to give up their blades? Thanks. First off, easy answer is yes. People 100% do give up their blades unless you are the runner-up of the show. And everybody has uh, Josh Smith to thank for that because he was – the second time I went on, I competed with Josh Smith and a couple other guys. <clears throat> And Josh was pissed. You've just blown Brody's mind. Just blown Brody's mind. He's only just found out you've been on, been on, and now you're telling you've been on twice. He's well, just like, what? Oh, thank God you said his mind. <laughs> thank okay. God you said mind. I just, I was getting weird over there. All that clam talk. I don't know. Go ahead. Sorry. And so, uh, <laughs> um, Josh was really frustrated. And I, honestly, like, I the first time I was on, I was frustrated too. 
to because uh, we it was the first season I didn't know anything about what was going to happen and they actually kept all of the weapons even if you were the runner up or didn't make it to the last round or whatever even if you won um, which kind of makes sense because in a way it's like they're buying your weapon from you if you lose or sorry Lame. if you win and you get Lame. an award and it's all in the contracts and stuff anyways but Josh Smith uh, he oh god what's the word i can't think of it right now but basically on the behalf of all of the other runner-ups as well as from his own experience uh he's like look i'm not gonna do this and and he he put he he did it the smart way he waited to get there they already flew him there they're ready to start filming and then he's like look i'm not doing this unless we change this rule and so they were like up to the last minute changing the rules and stuff so that the runner-up if for some reason um you know you don't win the show um the runner-up gets to take his weapon home or their weapon home and that way they're not completely out because you make it all the way to the end of filming which at that time was like two and a half to three weeks of filming there's no pay there's no compensation um for any of it unless you win and so uh, it's a big kick in the balls to spend all that time and then have absolutely nothing to show for. So at least if you make it to the end and you don't win, you get your thing, and then potentially you can sell it somewhere down the road or put it on the mantle. Whack, what the fuck dude. you want to do with it? That's just it, honestly, I I uh, <clears throat> I keep saying when I talk to people about it these days is that uh, the first season, while it was fun, we set up very poor precedent. Um, for makers following us uh, because you know all other competition shows like that like the people are compensated for their time they get paid it's just the person that wins gets paid more but all of the makers in the first season set a poor precedence in the way that we were just like attention whores basically (laughs) and we just needed all the attention or need wanted to be on tv or whatever the fuck and so we're like yeah whatever sign away our fucking firstborn child and all this shit let's just go and um and and not being compensated in any way was also part of that and you know to be fair like they didn't offer us anything but i think typically there's usually if some if somebody's represented by an entertainment lawyer then the entertainment lawyer would be like whoa 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 wait a second what the fuck back up if these guys are the talent and the show is yeah. built around them around them you fucking pay them and so but that didn't happen. Uh, and the funny story. So they started bringing people, inviting people back then to uh, compete against the judges. I don't know if you guys ever saw any of those episodes. Um, but they asked me to come back. And I was like, look, I would love to come back. It would be fun. But I can't afford to take that kind of time out of my shop. I have a business. I'm, I have a family I'm trying to take care of. Uh, so unless you can compensate me for my time out, out of the shop, I can't do it. And then the guy was like, well, we don't really pay the competitors. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I know. I've been on there twice. That's the problem. <laughs> that is the fucking problem. And he's like, well, I'll, I'll talk to my bosses and see or the producers yeah. and see what they think. I never heard a thing back. So I guarantee that. Yeah. Bah, fuck that guy. <laughs> we can find another. Ding dong. We'll find another attention craving idiot to p- go put on the show. No offense to anybody, but that's exactly what they're idiot. fucking thinking. Another ding dong. <laughs> no, no offense to you idiots. No, I'm one of those idiots. You know, but I talk, here's the it's problem. interesting because I talk that, to. That's exactly what they do. They're thinking. And that's what, exactly what they're saying to each other. Fuck these guys. Because they. Th- here's the problem. 
they're getting paid millions of dollars to not only make this show, but all the advertisement that they get from, they can afford to pay to compensate the people going onto the show and competing. And then the winner just gets paid more. They can do that. They can 100% afford that. They just don't because they're assholes. All right. Easy. Hey, (laughs) I'm allowed to be upset. There's a lot, there's a, you're allowed to be upset. There's (laughs) most likely a million other reasons. You know, it's like, um, no, I, I will say that my, my, my friend, uh, you know, John, I talked to Jonathan Porter often. I talked to him last night and he had told me about when he was on, that was the first season. He had taken a gamble on being on that show to the point where he, his side job was being a farrier and I'm not really telling anything out of school, but you know, he ended up losing a huge account. You know, when you're a farrier, you're Mm. at a place, you know, at the, you know, you're at a farm for a while and you know, you're, you're regular, you're regular, you're regular, and they need to count on you. And he lost a huge account because he took a gamble on Forge and Fire. And it was like, and I remember when he said, he said, you know, we prepared, we prepared for, if I were to win the the business and they just, he's like, we got, we got, we, we, we lost a lot of revenue being on that show it was like a gamble that we really didn't Mm. we shouldn't have done Mm. but you know look it's also puts people you know if it wasn't for forge and fire you wouldn't see anvils on on tv you know except for no sure yeah you know so it's like (laughs) it's true Am I wrong? You're quite right. I can't think of any other anvil on TV. You're right. Yeah, yeah. fucking oh, Bugs Bunny. Olive oil. Yeah, Wiley, the whole scene. Yeah, all of them. You know. So. Okay, cool. Cool. Okay. Um, Brenmar Built Knives has also sent a question. And they do this via Instagram. So we are Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram. you got a question, DM us. Um, hey, guys, another question about drill bits. I always have trouble drilling holes in blades that I've forged. Stock removal knives are never a problem. It's always the blades I've forged. I do all the normalizing and everything to anneal the blade. I've yet to find drill bits that work for more than a couple of blades. Is there some good bits that you would recommend? I'll spend the money, but I don't really need a full index. I only use one-eighth and one-quarter inch pins. Thanks, fellas. He's struggling to drill through forged blades, but doesn't seem to have that problem with um, stock removal blades. Yeah, I, I would be that? curious if he's doing a subcritical anneal as part of his normalizing process. And a subcritical um, would be bringing the blade up to about 1250 and letting it soak in, uh, soak in there for about an hour, two hours. Um, I actually, I think it's a couple hours. If you look at Laren Thomas's book, uh, Knife Engineering, uh, he talks about subcritical anneals and what it does to the carbides. But basically, it, I think the the short of it is that it it transforms the carbides into a more uh, amenable state that makes it super easy to drill and machine, grind, whatever you need to do, cut. And so, um, I I would maybe also add that uh subcritical anneal i don't it, he also doesn't say what kind of steel he's forging uh i, I assume it's some sort of carbon steel um but at, like if you're doing it with 5200 or 01 that is going to be a bitch to drill after you're done forging even if you normalize it so um that that would be my tip 
but otherwise drill like i don't know shit about drill and here's the problem like because i do all that stuff i don't give a fuck about what kind of drill bits i i get second hand drill bits from <laughs> like the state surplus store and i just sharpen them and keep using them like i've never once thought about what's the quality of this drill bit is it have cobalt or is it tungsten carbide or what is it like none of, none of that shit is it coated i don't give a shit about any of that i have no problem drilling what would you say the biggest uh what would you say the diff the differences between regular annealing and subcritical annealing are or the characteristics I mean, a regular normalizing cycle. Um, or so, sorry, so you said that regular annealing versus subcritical annealing. Well, like if somebody says I, I annealed it, I annealed it. You know, cool it down slowly. Yeah. What would be the difference uh, between yeah like, annealing something and a subcritical anneal? For sure. Also, I just want to apologize if I'm jumping in and interrupting you guys. There is a slight delay on my side, and um, and every once in a while it trips out, and I'm not catching everything you're saying. So. I'm okay, man. All right. Uh, and if I drop out, uh, I bid you all adieu, and thank you for having me on. Um, no. uh, so uh, a normal anneal cycle is a very, very long, slow, and controlled anneal cycle. Um, so you bring it up above or at critical, and then you let it cool down very slowly at like maybe 50 degrees or 100 degrees an hour which is so slow. But in the only way you can really do that is through a temperature-controlled kiln, like the even heats. Um, but it's just very time-consuming. You don't necessarily always need to do that, though. Um, and I think... What did I, I, saw, I feel like I saw an argu, uh, article the other day um, discussing the potential merits between just the normal normalizing versus fully annealing because people used to think you have to... or but yeah, people used to say, or still say probably, that you have to fully, or the best, uh, I guess, I don't know what to call it, the form or like state for the steel to be heat treated out of is a fully annealed state. But most people are not doing that and they're getting, we, we're getting great results. I've never done a full anneal on a knife. So it's a higher temperature, very long period of time. And then a subcritical anneal is like just barely at critical, just below critical, uh, which is again from that 1250 to like maybe I think there are all different types of schedules. And I think another one that's in life uh, engineering is at 1385, but it's just above critical. It's about 50 degrees above critical. And then it, and it's for a much shorter period of time from anywhere from a half an hour, 45 minutes to a couple hours. Did I do it? There you go. Okay. Look at that. Cool. What do you think, oh. Craig? Well, I think if you're looking for an even heat. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. To find your next oven, go to knifetalk.net forward slash heat. That will take you to Soul Ceramics, where it automatically apply a $75 discount and free shipping in the US. And I believe they've got some ready to ship. So they're, they're distributors of even heats, basically. They've got some. Go get some. Last thing on drill bits, and this is something I learned in the last metal shop I was in. If you start squealing and you start to, you know, you're pushing, 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 and nothing's mm. happening. If you too much friction, you're going to ruin. You, you the... mean you mean the material squealing, not not you personally. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I just saw the pictures of Mareko's clams. I just, I, you know what? I just looked at those pictures Jesus too. Christ! And I, looked, dude, I mean, I recognize a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
Oh, you son of a bitch, you. It's something else. <laughs> Those clams got me all fired up talking about. Fr- but if you have your drill bit has too much friction and you ruin the temp, you ruin the you ruin the heat treatment of your drill bit. It's ruined. And then you can also you can, what also happens if you keep going, you you can almost harden that spot that you're drilling in the steel. Oh, for sure. It, and then you know every goddamn bit you throw in is going to be garbage. So you got to really go slowly, and then lots of lube, right, Craig? And then, lots of lube. And then not, and also know that forge scale is harder than the steel. So if you got a lot of forge scale on there, you got to notice that that oh, flaky yeah, carbon is going to be hard, hard, hard. So yeah. What are your thoughts on using WD forty as a drilling lubricant? It's fine. I did it once in a. Instagram video and got lit right up. Apparently, oh, wow. it's, a, it's a no-no. Uh, uh, yeah, so I so I was told anyway. These fucking armchair machinists are like these guys sitting on their fat asses, <laughs> telling you no WD forty. You whatever it takes. You want to use vegetable juice? You go ahead. Whatever the fuck. I don't it use takes. anything. Vegetable juice. <laughs> yeah, get one of them clams. Rub rub your clam on there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, enough clam talk. Jeff, take the next question for us. I'm sorry, but I I almost wish you didn't send me that picture <laughs> video because the fucking clams are nuts. It's like a plate of vaginas, for Christ's sakes. Sorry. There's I'm a really reason sorry. they're an aphrodisiac. Damn right. For too. Christ's sakes. Jesus Christ. That's like the national flag of Lesbos. <laughs> 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 Could well be the that could well be the title. That's not gonna be the title. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, there you go. That's for you, Cypress. We love you. Scarhill Blade says, Hey sexy, I'm reorganizing my shop and I'm th- I'm thinking about caddy cornering my forge to save room since I uh, <coughs> I realistically only have access from the front. It's a bare stud and plywood interior, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts on how or if I should fireproof it. Thank you. Oh, God. Well, first off, what's catty corner in? What he's like sticking in the corner. He's going to make yeah. a ledge. Looks sounds like he's going to make a ledge in the corner of the shop uh, on the wall. Right, okay, I got you. Um, but, it, but it's a bare stud and plywood interior, and I'm curious if you have thoughts on it and how um, you should fireproof. Um, I don't know. I don't know is the answer. I did have an an even heat in the corner before, um, but obviously they're very well insulated. A forge would be a completely different story. Um, sheet steel, I'd imagine, cover the walls with that. I don't know. Um, Marekko, do you have any of your forges in the corner? Uh, I don't, but if I was, I would try to build a heat shield kind of similar to what you see with fireplaces. Uh, and usually there's like yes. a, a panel of sheet metal that's on st- it's like assembled with standoffs that actually have it off the the wall just a little bit and usually then behind it there's uh more heat or fire protective material and it do- doesn't have to be the whole corner it's you know just where you know in that area but ultimately like realistically if the forge is well insulated it shouldn't be getting too crazy hot um I, I'd be curious to know how how big it is and and how close to the wall he's actually planning on putting it. Um, 
but yeah, heat shielding it in some way as well as using putting some on top of the studs some fireproof. So whether whether that's like concrete board or something like that that you would use, um, or green board that you would use to help um, in just general construction, um, making things more fire resistant or fireproof, um, will help to shield that area behind it to keep it safe. What do you got, Greg? I'm Jeff? a I'm a wheels guy. I'm a wheels guy. Wheels. I, I want to be All able right. to wheel the forge around. I don't want. I don't want to be too. I don't want to be too tight to the wall. So yeah. I, I do That's whatever it takes to kind of make sure I'm, it's well ventilated. You know, I don't want to like. And I'm goddamn sure as hell not burning this shop down. So I would probably figure out a way to make like a little cart, maybe a little cart that you can mm-hmm. wheel outside. I mean, most a lot of people do that. I know that uh, John Ariani. Has uh, they have a ton? John Cliff have tons of forges, and they every time they're gonna they wheel it outside because it's just pumping so much. I get really worried about um, forges in um, indoors because if you're not well ventilated, you can get pad problems. I, I've told this story of uh, a number of years ago. We had Darren Fisher, who's a good friend of mine. This is a long time ago when we had uh, we had a shop. Uh, what's so funny? Nothing. All right. I just I, I know where this is going because you've told this story a few times. Well, man. we had it was freezing, <laughs> and we were teaching this class at my friend's shop. We had all the goddamn windows closed, and we had all these. We turned the forges on to warm the shop up, and we almost killed Darren Fisher. Like the 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 uh, there was like a we had we didn't have enough ventilation. The shop was freezing, and um, there was almost like he when he went to the bathroom, he came back. He felt like there was a wall of like carbon monoxide, a visible wall of carbon monoxide when he walked in. And then when we were cleaning up, he ended up, you know, he ended up throwing up on the roof just because he was so, I mean, he was so, you know, not prepared for the lack of oxygen. And you don't even notice it. You get slowly, slowly get like very comfortable. So I'm, anytime I forge, I never forge without the doors open. And I get really worried about, you know, making sure there's enough ventilation so I'm not, you know, slowly, slowly, like, going to sleep. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to go to sleep when you're forging. For sure. Because you go to sleep. Yeah. You Carbon you monoxide poisoning is a real issue. Yeah. yeah so. Uh, he, yeah, now, how would you counteract that? Is that literally just by having an open window, open door, just getting fresh air in, too? It, yeah, it I mean, actually has to be more than not that. Ju- I mean, you should have, like, a... Oh, <laughs> Sorry. It's a fucking delay. It should, you know, it should be, like, a, a cross you know, some sort of cross ventilation, you know, I have like a vent that I use and then I have this big door open and, you know, you really want to make sure that you have plenty of, you're, you're venting it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yep, yep. All right. This Paul ne- Jansen. Go for it, Mareko. Paul Jansen. Is Paul Jansen next? We got, I see Cutthroat Whatever, Australia. Go ahead, do Cutthroat Australia. Oh, sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah, question to the group. How do you respond to, ran- to a random person on Instagram who sends you a pic of someone else's work? Zero description, just the image. I, I don't respond. <laughs> I, yeah, require, yeah. I require words for um, communication. In more words than also just hi. Oh, fucking hi is good. I mean, not, I'm saying good as in, like, that's the classic, like, I ain't responding back. Just, yeah. just waiting for you to answer. Yeah. It's like, hi, how are you? Good, thanks for asking. Oh, Jesus Christ. 
Cutie's. Like that's where Hey Cutie's. If you're listening to the show for the first time, that's where we used to. That's where Hey Cutie came from. Is you get these DMs from these like porn bots saying Hey Cutie and stuff like that. And that's <laughs> why people say Hey Cutie. There is a definitely like it's it's everything. It seems as though it's DMing is like a fishing expedition. Like you, you're just trying to. Everyone's trying to figure out different way. Everyone's trying to figure out different ways to catch that fish. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird one, and I think don't spend too much time trying to work out what people are on about on Instagram. Just forget them and um, move on to the next one. I think it's the only way. Okay, owl woodwork. Um, apparently, you can't put stainless cladding um, directly over a non-stainless core uh, because of something called carbon migration, and it will negatively affect the core steel. I'm told you need a barrier layer of nickel. If this is true, how are you got? How are guys like uh, Teriyasu something something Fujiwara making such well-renowned stainless stainless uh, clad blue super knives? I guess my question is, stainless cladding, why does everybody say something different? Is there an answer? Uh, are all these things myths? Mareko, what do you think? Uh, I mean, you can. You can do it. Um, and Fujiwara is not making his own steel, as far as I'm aware. He's getting, he's using, yeah, he's super blue and all this other kind of claddings. Um, but those are typically being made in a commercial environment that have vacuum purges or some sort of purging system to help protect the materials as they are being welded together. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Takafu is the company that makes those. For a long time, Takafu steels weren't available in the, um, in the United States because it was kind of a, you know, it was such a high, it was so highly regarded and, and kind of a, a terroir thing. Uh, it was only made in Japan, and so they're like, "All right, this steel is so great, and it's the highest performing, and outcompetes so many other steels. It's only going to be made in Japan, and only available to Japanese makers. And only in the last maybe five or ten years, that's changed. I think about ten years ago, it started getting imported in the United States, or people with special relationships with those companies were able to import it, but that was it. And now you can readily find it." Um, places online but yeah they're they're working in a commercial environment where they can safely and <laughs> weld those materials together without losing uh you know the carbon to migration um at least through the welding process now people are still forging them and nobody's saying that carbon mig carbon migration isn't happening in that process um and it will it's and and you can weld stainless to c carbon core it's just whether or not you want that effect, it's more about making an educated decision rather than um, just slapping some shit together. Because maybe you want that look, and sometimes it does look really cool to have see that carbon migration from the carbon steel core material to the stainless. Sometimes you don't. Um, so there you go. Yeah. Cool. You're not going to get a better better answer from me, um, Jeff. Anything on that? Nothing. Zero. Nothing. I got. I got nothing to say. I, I find it. I find it fascinating. <clears throat> I would talk to you know. Look, just pointing in the direction of guys who are who do a lot of sand. My Greg Sims, uh, Noah Vachon, mm -hmm. uh, Steve Pellegrino. Those guys are all doing a lot of mm -hmm. sand. My so I'd ask them. Uh, yeah. Whoops. Sorry. 
Start with a simple high. Yeah, just say just write high. Yeah, high. Yeah. See what they say. Combat Abrasives makes the world's best abrasive belts for knife makers. Available in any size at unbelievable prices. Go take a look at CombatAbrasives.com and get 15% off with promo code KNIFETALK15. Do it now. Do it now. Uh, we got another question in from Philly Knife Co. Um, so odd question maybe. Do you know what causes temper coloring? Is it just the heat um, or is it the heat and exposure to oxygen? In theory, one could temper in oil heated to four to 500, depending on desired temp, and it would be very consistent. Um, could you use heated oil to return temper coloring after finishing as a surface treatment or coloring? Um, so I think he's talking about those sort of, those sort of rainbow colors that you get um, after, after, after heat treat. Um, um, for stainless. For stainless, yes, yeah. Um, to me, they, it doesn't sort of... It's, it's very much a surface thing for me. It doesn't seem to last. Um, it's, it's not a permanent thing. Um, but what do you guys think? Uh, all those things, I mean, even the the uh, the yellow, I actually, when I made some hammers, I kept the... I had some tempered, and they looked great golden, and it comes it comes off over time. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't mm. stick around. And then I've been doing lately with the AEBL, I've been having really nice... Um, really nice uh, uh, colors and i've been keeping it as much as i can just because just you know i figure why not and you know it you can scrub it off with you know uh, whatchamacallit scotch brand so yeah now i I think it is something to do with the oxygen though because when i wrap a a blade in 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 foil um i do that thing that some people do and i'm not sure how true it is that if you put a little bit of uh, tissue paper in there that will then uh, combust and burn off any extra oxygen that's in the packet. I don't know if it's required or not. I don't know. Um, but generally, I put little balls, and I put a few in along the blade. Yeah, I but just do this, just just for my own entertainment, really. Because right. when it come out, you get different patterns. Um, and I find where I put the uh, balls. where I put the tissue balls, you right. get almost like a, a little sort of explosion mark, and it, it looks. It looks really cool, and that's the only reason I do it. Uh, but yeah, it comes off almost immediately. Yeah. Why do those colors happen? Why do or even just temper colors, Morocco? Uh, I mean, I can't give the best answer, but it, it, I mean, it is from the material. Give a shitty answer. Give a shitty answer. Give a shitty answer. I, I, I'll give you the best I can, which is it, it is a result of being exposed to oxygen. So if you're removing oxygen from the equation by submerging it in oil or something else, then you're not gonna really experience that. Um, and so th- there are some materials that are used for like gun bluing and, or salt baths and stuff like that that are used for oxidizing materials uh, and coloring them intentionally. But I, I don't think that oil would work. I think you would have to, I, 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 at least as best as I understand it, that it is a result of the oxygen exposure. So, yeah, yeah. I could be fucking wrong, though. I'm pretty There's sure There's a terrible is. answer. No, 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 no. You're not wrong. You're 100% right. You can get Sharpies in all different colors these days, so if, if that's your bag, um, finish with a Sharpie. Mm-hmm. Well, we have uh, lots of other bits to do, ladies and gentlemen. We have listener feedback. We have rookie moves. Uh, like Everyone sent in a lot of rookie moves, and we have why me, why me, why does this always happen to me? So Okay, you set one of them up. I'm going to tell everybody about MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. 
Uh, Lawrence is a good guy. He's got everything you could possibly need as a knife maker, whether it's steel, belts, handle materials, tools, forges, even kilns and more. He's got everything there. Um, they're also the Canadian distributor for combat abrasives. And they've got a deal where if you buy 10, you get 10% off. So basically one free in every 10. It's Yeah, it's a cool deal. Go take a look. MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. They're also Maritime Knife Supply on Instagram. They'll have anything you could possibly need. Jeff, what we got? Let's start in with a little listener feedback. Listener feedback. Uh, if you listen to us and you're wanting to, you want to contribute, if you go to Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram, you can shoot us your DMs or your listener feedback or questions or whatever dilemmas and stuff like that. So, and then on Wednesdays, usually Wednesdays or so, I, I'll pipe up on on in the stories and ask for you know something. So this one comes from Carly from Damasteel. Carly from oh, Damasteel, wow, our friend boy. Carly. Hey guys, great show this week. Was thinking about some of your social media queries from listeners. We were talking about, I guess last week, I think it was Fox River Blades was talking about um, growing. It was an Instagram issue and social media and mm. banned. Or oh, yeah, being flagged as offensive weapons. Yeah, yeah. So he, uh, she said, I uh, was thinking about some of your social media queries from your listeners, and I wanted to mention hashtags that are shadow banned. Makers need oh. to double check what hashtag, hashtags they're throwing on things because if Instagram doesn't support the hashtag, no one will see their stuff. Have a great week, Carly. So Carly's cool. in for you guys. Good call. Good call. So, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Okay. what? It, some you know knife porn and all that stuff and like <laughs> all that. Stuff. Hashtag clampex probably wouldn't oh, go down God. too well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Casual Cow says, hey, guys, in the lump episode, you were talking about tennis arm and forging. My forging teacher always says that you should not put your thumb on the hammer handle, but around it. Because if you put your thumb on the handle, more shocks from the forging process go up than your arm. How do you guys hold your hammer? Thanks. (laughs) Two handed. Oh, look at you. Striker. Striker. Big striker. But I don't think that tennis elbow comes from tennis elbow usually comes from or uh, tendonitis usually comes from if you're doing something with your arm that you you don't normally do. Like the time I had got tennis elbow was from, you know, spending a, in the early days when I was working at the Center for Metal Arts and we were I didn't have a lot of experience with tongs and using my managing hand, putting it in positions and moving in positions, almost like a violin, you know, playing a violin or something. It was like mm-hmm. I was in these positions that I wasn't normally used to. So that's why I, I didn't get a tennis elbow on my hammer hand ever. I've gotten it on my managing hand. So, mm, yeah. but I hold... So do you think you'd get over tennis elbow by repetitively doing things? So you'd strengthen the muscles, <clears throat> whatever it may be? I don't know. It goes away, and definitely those armbands are great. Um, but... I don't know. It was when I got it. It was a total drag, and it would like last for six weeks or something like that. So oh boy, I hated it. Oh, it's not fun. It's not nice. It's not nice at all. But those ba- those those neoprene bands are great. However, when I do hold the hammer, I I hold it. I do the Hoffy method sometimes, and then I hold it the you know with your thumb around it a lot, and that's the end of that. How do you hold yeah. your hammer there, Mareko? Same. I'm a thumb around. I. I... I I don't know how I don't feel like <laughs> I don't know how I'd feel comfortable with my thumb on the spine I guess of the hammer on the back of the hammer while swinging it. I feel like it wouldn't feel very secure. Well it, it it kind of it subconsciously makes you not want to 
use the rebound of the anvil. You know, part of the part of the idea behind the rebound is it's helping you save some energy, bringing the hammer back on your second hit. So mm-hmm. if you get your thumb down, it's almost like you're doing one hit. Yeah. You know, it's just it's not really like it's not efficient towards you know taking advantage of the Tense. rebound from your anvil to kind of bring it back for your next. You're supposed to like be efficient in your energy, in, in, use that energy. Uh, Legacy Blade says, well, it's finally happened to me after a few years of making knives. A guy perfectly happy with the knife upon completion, the completion pictures. But when he gets it, he says, well, I wish we would have done a different, a more ornate handle. Even though he told me to just do whatever I wanted. When someone says that I, I usually say something simple, but tasteful, but uh, don't end up with their, I don't end up way outside their expectations. Quickly tap my memory on all the times I've heard you guys talk about this thing on Tough Dilemmas and went straight to, what do you uh, what do you want to do? Do you want to send it back? So he's saying to the guy, what do you want to do? You want to send it back? A refund your money? Um, knowing I could just sell it on my page. The conversation, conversation quickly turns into him saying, no, I'll keep it. I guess I should have been more specific. Yeah, you should have. Uh, come at me, bro. Those dilemmas, keep those dilemmas flowing and uh, they're entertaining and actually helpful. But that is interesting. You know, you sometimes you get a you get a customer who says, "Just do, just express yourself," and then it's not really what they wanted. Have you ever had those yeah. situations? Yeah, um, I do things slightly different now. So basically, I, I do very few custom orders, but the ones that I do, they'll have a a complete sort of three D render of of how the knife will look, right down to the handle material, liner colors, and all the rest of it. Um, just so they know exactly what they'd be getting. Um, so there was a bit of sort of upfront work to you know to get all the sort of templates ready, so I could make a, make a mock-up very quickly. Um, but now you know, so literally within three or four minutes, um, I, you know, I could I could give it any handle color, any you know, any sort of grain structure of the handle, any liner color and all that, and just swap them out. Any pins, any pattern pins, and just swap them all out. So that yeah, they've got a very good idea of what they'll be getting. Um, but yeah, when somebody just says, do what you think, if I think if you're not giving them any feedback, you're almost giving them license to be disappointed. Maybe I, I don't know. It's a difficult one. Yeah. Have you ever been in that position, Marekko? Um, God, the only one I can really th- think about or, um, or remember was actually, it wasn't that exact situation. Like it, it was all the customer's choices, but even still, um, after they got it, they're like, oh, I, I don't know about this handle material. It seems kind of loud because um, it was like this blue dyed, some sort of burl, spalted burl of some sort. It was beautiful. I thought it was beautiful, um, but it, I guess <laughs> he wasn't happy with it when he got it, even though he found the piece and he paid for the piece. And I sent him progress photos the whole time through. Oh. Um, and so, uh, yeah, when he got it, he wasn't happy about it. but. Maybe he was blaming it on the fucking knife when really he had buyer's remorse, and um, and so that that could have been an issue too. But I don't know. I think if I was in that position and I could easily sell it, I'd be like, "Fuck it, send it back." I don't want somebody walking around with something they're not happy, or especially from me, like because I've been in that position of kind of like that buyer's remorse situation, and. If if I feel comfortable that I could sell it again, then I'd just be like, whatever. I, I guess, uh, hopefully this doesn't happen too often, which usually it doesn't. Um, 
But if you can sell it, yeah, just I would just take it back and fucking sell it to somebody else. Put it on the website or a newsletter, and somebody who's pumped about it is going to fucking buy it. That's what I want. I want people out in the world that's, that's super pumped about my work and about owning it. That's the, that's the tricky thing about customs is when people have their idea of what they think it's going to look good. Mm-hmm. It's like going to a restaurant and saying, you know, I want this on the menu but i want you to swap sides with this and you're kind of building your own food you're building your own meal which is different from the the what the the idea of what the restaurant wants i mean i get that all the time like i have a one guy who just wants ornate 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 and and it's like we're we're going down a road here that like you the meter's running and you know you're not make you're making decisions based on what you think not what's going to work well um and I don't know, it, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's one of those things you, I once, when I was uh, working in a restaurant, I was talking to this, um, this, this woman who was one of the servers and she was, she just had came off a table and the table, they were so rude to her. They were so rude to mm. her and awful. And she said to me, they were so, they're such assholes or such, I just can't believe it. And I would say, look, you open your doors to the public. What's the percentage of people? What's the percentage of people who are unreasonable in the public? Let's say fifty percent of people are of the public are unreasonable, <laughs> and when you open your doors to them, what are you going to get? Thirty percent, thirty percent of those unreasonable people are going to show up. All right, you got one of those thirty percent. So this happens, you know. You open your doors up, and you know, every so often they all can't be the greatest customer of all time. Sometimes they're just like they yeah. suck. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, what else we got? We have rookie moves. Okay, I like Rookie it. Rookie moves. Yeah. So last week, uh, nice handmade knives. Who is is has come up with awesome bits for us. Came up with the idea of say asking the asking the listeners some of your rookie moves, and the listeners really responded. So nice handmade knives. You're two for two on good bits. Really, really very high level. So rookie mistakes, people sending in their rookie mistakes. Number one comes from Feral Boy Knives. Here's a rookie mistake. Everything is hot all the time. Don't pick up shit unless you know it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did that with the frying pan yesterday. I knew oh, I'd just taken it out of the oven and I'd put it, I'd put it on the top, on the top of the hob. I knew it was hot and within three seconds of putting it on there, I then instinctively just picked it up again, burned all the calluses in my hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to put that shit on the floor too. The forging stuff, mm. it's like, it's shocking how hot things stay. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Treat everything as if it's hot. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. Along those Michael lines. Michael Berg. F- oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, go along ahead. those along those lines, uh, when you're forging on the press, sometimes I completely forget how much heat those dyes absorb. And, and grabbing stuff off barehanded and when it's actually like, 800 degrees doesn't feel good <laughs> yeah oh, that's another thing to be careful of folks eyes get hot do you, this reminds me do you want to hear an uri hoffy joke go for all it. right yeah uri hoffy one of the great he said this joke years ago and i'm saying this because i don't know it works with the whole clam thing and <laughs> I, I i got no choice i got no choice i'm gonna say it in his accent uri hoffy 80 something got no leg Living it, living his best life out in Israel, doing his thing. Legend. He goes, blacksmith is at the shop, and he's very poor. And his wife comes in, and she says, "Husband, we must, we must eat." 
And uh, the, the blacksmith says, wife, we have no money. I must work. And she said, and the wife says, you must eat. I'm going to, I'm going to prepare you some dinner. And then, um, we have no money. We have no money. So then she, then she sits on the horn of the anvil and he says, wife, what are you doing? And she says, I'm preparing you dinner. <laughs> because the horn of the anvil gets hot when you're working. Nothing. You fucking Nothing. guys. Nothing. That was a Ori Hoffy joke. He's, she's <laughs> warming up her pussies. That's the joke. What the fuck? Jesus Christ. That was That's terrible. That was his joke. Terrible. He used to say it just like he's the best, the worst jokes. I Oh, he lo- he would say though. What's the difference between a? Oh, never mind. I'm not gonna do it. I have a whole list of he's. <laughs> he used to tell me the. I call him my favorite bad comedian. I loved every terrible joke he said. So that's the rookie mistake was telling me that fucking joke. Okay. So Michael Bergfalk <laughs> says, "Here's a rookie move. One of my biggest rookie moves was as a newer knife maker is thinking roasting the legends of Knife Talk podcast would be funny." To everyone, not just me. We fucked up his name on the on on um, on an episode, and he was kind of like joshing with us to to with. It doesn't matter. I'm with you, Michael. You're the man. Will Miller says, "Here's two big rookie mistakes. Number two, letting the gas run for a minute or two before lighting the forge. The resulting fireball burned a, burned away uh, burned away all the hair off my arm and elbow and up to my eyebrows." And then number one is letting my wife know exactly how much I had spent on equipment. The rookie moves. <laughs> rookie yeah. moves. Here's another EDC. Have you guys ever had a, one of them? Uh, you know, you buy something and you're afraid to you're afraid to tell your wife. Oh, completely. completely. Oh yeah, you. Yeah. What yeah. was your last? What was your last one that you were really embarrassed to tell her? Was it? This wasn't me, but a friend of mine would often leave the house with an empty guitar case. Telling his wife, who's gone off to get his guitar repaired. Oh my God. Go out, buy a new guitar, put it in the case, come back in. That's the way. <laughs> oh man. That's have you ever, have you ever done that, Mareko? You don't seem like the kind of guy that you're, you know, break something to your wife and yeah, buy don't, something you'd regretted. Yeah, don't really have a, a lot of extra money laying around to do that. So, no. <laughs> I had, yep. uh, I'm going to go see the Knicks. I'm going to go see the Knicks. And the Hornets play in Madison Square Garden. My friend and I are going to go get, go to a steakhouse and then go to the Knicks game. And I, oh, did you get one of those discount tickets? Those those thirty dollar tickets? No, dude, we're paying out the note. We he got flo- well. This is well. This is the out. I was giving you the out. Let me let me tell you the fucking story. Okay. okay. So he's like, I found floor seats, and he sent me the price, and the price is a little bit more than I wanted to spend, but I really wanted to go, and I just told my wife, I was just like, look. I'm going to the Knicks game. Here are the prices, the tickets. We're also going to be buying steaks. That's cool, right? And she says, of course. You work hard. You're entitled to a little bit of fun. I, I thought maybe I shouldn't tell her. And then I was just like, fuck it. Just just before we bought them, I'm just like, listen, we're paying. We're getting floor seats. Not We're like eight rows from the floor, but we got floor seats. And I was like, it could have been one of them. Oh, don't worry about it. You're just going to. Hmm. Yeah. To be, I, I got to be fair. My wife is, is pretty awesome with with. Yeah, my indulgent whims. So I, I can't complain at all. Yeah. Yeah. All right, EDC Rear Gearhouse says, here's a rookie mistake. I was doing a rock-carved pattern on a heavily internally milled brass scales, and I had lots of contours on the presentation side thinking that it, would, that it could be as much force with titanium. 
I definitely took it down too far and ended up with a nice peekaboo hole from the top side through to the damn scales. So it went too far. It went too far with the EDC. Went too far. Yeah, um, Benjamin Mullen says my biggest rookie mistake was trying to use a leaf spring I bought instead of using good blade steel to start out. The spring steel wasn't fifty one sixty and it was very hard to work with. The spring also cost me more than more per foot than eighty six seventy from Pops. I should have mm. bought blade steel. Should have bought blade. And you know what you should have bought? Dharma Steel. Go to dharmasteel.se. Register an account. You'll get 10% off as well. And we all know what Dharma Steel is. It's amazing. Stainless Damascus. Beautiful, beautiful patterns. They've got a whole bunch of patterns now. Go take a look. dharmasteel.se. Remember, you get 10% off by registering Knife Talk um, as the promo code once you have an account. You want to do a couple more? Let's do a couple more, yeah. Yeah. Hummer Knives, our friend Hummer Knives, says, My biggest rookie move, I quit my job after less than a year of making knives. I made three or four knives in that year, and they all sold. I thought I hit the gold mine. I worked out uh, for our family during... It worked out for our family during COVID because I could stay home and take care of our boy. But, oh, boy, do I cringe thinking about how I gave up that steady paycheck to get this hobby (laughs) off the ground. (laughs) Yeah, it's a question we get a lot of, isn't it? People saying, you know when should I go full-time? And uh, we always say the answer's different for everybody. Everybody. Uh, uh, Pig Iron Forge says, this is for the rookie mistake segment. I gave up my first carving. I made, I was making my first carving set. The knife was no problem. And I'd never made it. I've never made a fork before. It seemed pretty simple to forge out the basic shape and cut a space to make the prongs. So my dumb ass took an angle grinder, cut a thin notch, and then tre- uh, tr- threaded it through the belt. So you don't understand what he's saying? So he, mm-hmm. he cut yeah. a notch with the grinder, and he stuck it through the belt. Um, stuck it through the belt of his uh, moving grinder. Um, thinking that I could just grind away the excess. No problem. Everything is going fine. So I apply more pressure to grind it faster. And when I caught Dang. the belt on the connection and split, the lengthwise, split it lengthwise at the adhesive, so one side of the belt was in a loop spinning at 70%, while the other side, which was uh, one, end, one end was still attached, kept turning into a 72-inch long whip. Before I knew what happened, Yikes. I'd been smacked in the head and face 20 times. <laughs> after, Holy shit. <laughs> after covering up in the fetal position for a second on the floor of my shop before I realized what was going on, I crawled under the table that my grinder was on. And then I was blindly, I blindly reached up to turn it off. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I would, please tell me he's got some sort of camera there. I'd love to see that. <laughs> Looking back. I was imagining that the, the you know, the tine of the fork was going to ping off with the vibration of the, uh, of the belt, but that's far better. <laughs> Looking back, the funniest part of me was after every smack, the belt would just dip itself into the cooling bucket and wet, <laughs> oh, wet itself just a bit. Dad, more snap to each slap. <laughs> oh, 20 wet slaps. That's amazing. Pig iron, you win. Pig <laughs> iron, you win. And then um, uh, Brigham Kendall says, Mir's a rookie mistake. I got the new tril- two- true tilt from Mr. House and had my platen tilted really far back, and I wasn't paying attention and let my belly hit the bottom of the wheel on a 36 oh. crit going super fast. <laughs> I didn't notice it until it went, I went down inside, and I saw, that it, I saw the hike in a few... I saw it, it, take, it took off a few layers of my apron. Thank goodness for my Moreco BM, Bamf apron. So, wow. 
sticking sticking that, that gut a, in. Yeah, jeez. I think it's Brian Haas now, not Brian House, by the way. Why are you say that? He's just bought himself a big Haas. Oh, now, okay. CNC okay. thing. Mm. That was a that was a CNC joke, ladies and germs. It was <laughs> fucking that was my Uri Hoffy joke. Putting your, was way better than that joke. That I can tell you that. Um, Whilst we're talking machinery, Jeff, tell us about your grinder. Holy shit! I have a two, the, the the Broadback two by seventy two grinder, and I was putting it to work. I've been putting it to work every day. It is a great grinder made by knife makers for knife makers and woodworkers and metal workers and everybody else. It goes horizontally, vertically, tons of attachments, very user-friendly. All the attachments also work on uh, most other chassis of grind of other grinder companies. And if you go to broadbackironworks.com, put in the promo code KNIFETALK200, you will get $200 off their grinder packages. And if you put in KNIFETALK100, you get $100 off their service belt grinder attachment. You get $100 off their leather sewing machine and their sharpening system. They have a new sharpening system that looks great. So go get yourself one of them Broadback Ironworks 2x72 grinders and stop playing. There you go. There There you go. go. Shall we go back to a few questions? We can do that. We also have why me, why me, why does this always happen to me? We're filled. Every, the listeners have been doing good, man. The listeners have been giving us some yeah. good shit. Yeah. I just can't stop thinking about that grinder <laughs> belt going around. Dude. <laughs> Dipping itself in water. <laughs> I got to tell you that the only time something similar to that happened to me was with a, with a, the, uh, with a Scotch Bright belt. And I, was, and I was, this is a rookie mistake. I was, I was cleaning up a... Um, an oyster knife and then i had the the tip oh, of the blade facing up and it mm. caught it <laughs> caught the it caught the thing shot the thing right down but it also tore it up and it was flapping away the good thing about those belts is when they do tear usually it's one tear and it's it's it but you don't normally get the slap slap so yeah yeah if anything's going to grab it's going to be a scotch uh, scotch oh, yeah. bright belt as well they can brutal. brutal so whatever you want to do Okay, yeah, let's do some of these why me then. Why, why, me, why me, why me, why does this always happen to me? So if you want to send in your why me, why me, basically we're, you, you put up a question for us that happens to you all the time, and we kind of crime scene investigate what the problem is and they figure out what the problem is. So Co Blade says, why me, why me, why does this always happen to me? Why is it every time I try to clean my plunge lines, I end up taking a nick out of one side screw, one side, and I screw them up? I always, I'm already, uh, I already know it's a skill level. Awesome show, guys. Never miss a week. Plunge lines, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Yep. It's that whole thing of chasing the plunge line. Do one wrong, have to do the other side, then chase and chase and before you know it, it's way back on itself. Yeah. 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 It's, I, yeah. Experience. It happens to everyone, I'm sure. What do you think about plunge lines? What are the, what are some of the problems that people have with plunge lines, Marco? Was that towards me? You there? Yeah, Marekko. Sorry. Yeah. I, I what just do you think about you. plunge lines? It cut out for a second. Um, yeah, I, I don't really do plunge lines. Um, but the few times I have, I found that the Trizec belts, actually the, uh, what are they? The structured abrasive with a little bit of height to them. actually, And, and that coupled with a set of carbide file guides uh, really helped to one limit um, and keep things even on both sides, but also because of the height of that abrasive, you're cutting the face as well as the, I guess the uh, the wall of the plunge at the same time to clean them up and and get it nice and square in there. Um, but 
other than that, like I, I've seen people use uh, like die polisher stones um, or die maker stones um, and other. I, don't, I can't even really think what else people are using to clean up plunges, but the, doing it very carefully and meticulously um, by hand just to just to make sure that they're not messing things up and constantly chasing back and forth. They just slow down and work a little more carefully um, in the first place. One thing I've noticed, and this is a little tiny little thing, is a lot of times on your platen, your platen may or may not be the exact size as your belt. So if there's a little overhang on your on your grinder belt, yeah. You'll have a more round. You'll have a more rounded plunge line. Yeah. So if one's on one, that. if one's a little proud of the plunge line, uh, one's plat- proud of the platen on one side, and one's not proud on the platen on the other side, and you look, you're going to see one's got a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, <clears throat> you know, rounded, and the other one's a little bit tight. So you have to be very aware when you're finishing off, doing those plunge lines and finishing them off, that you're making sure that you're where the edge that you're going up to on the platen, you have these same amount of, you know, belt either sticking over or not sticking over as the other side. Cause that's usually, that's the one thing that happens that I try to be aware of. And I, I don't, it doesn't dawn on me until I look down and I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, the plunge line's a little bit weird. And it's because the, it's because I have the different sides have different, uh, the belts on different sides of the. You know what the fuck I said, for Christ's yeah, sake! Yeah, yeah. God. And again, the, again, the, ra- the radius of your platen as well. If they if it's not identical either side, and you're using a really sort of lightweight belt that's got give, it'll just wrap around the shape of that platen as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, same thing. This is still the number one knife related podcast on this German festive planet, whether you like it or not, ladies and gentlemen. And if you don't <laughs> like what I said, find another one. You're not gonna find one better than this, that's for sure. All right. Uh I don't know why I said that. Plumley Knives says, Why me? Why me? Why does this always happen to me? Why do I always get metal slivers on the bottom of my feet? I try to clean off after leaving the shop and I take my shoes off at the door. And when I come home, I try to take my dirty clothes to the laundry room right away. Yet I always seem to be getting slivers on the bottom of my feet. Normally, this wouldn't be a big problem, but I've had diabetes since I was a young child. And 20, 20 plus years later, these slivers are more than just an annoyance. Any tip, tip how to keep metal pieces out of my house? Thanks again. You're the best. Oh, what wow. the fuck? Um, <laughs> is he wearing shorts? <laughs> and they're just, they're just getting down that little gap on the side of his shoes. You know, I generally wear... Trousers, long pants, as you might call right. them, and make sure that you know they they overhang that little, you know, a little bit where your where your socks are showing. Um, <laughs> you wore you wore those oh, fucking yeah. shoes still, right? Your orthopedic Reeboks. Still, I'm on my, I think I'm on my my fourth <laughs> pair. I think I love oh, them. Some love bullshit them. shoes right there. I would love to see uh, <laughs> a orthopedic Reeboks commercial made by Craig, all about his shoes. Yeah, I'd love to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sparks flying. It could be the new Jordans. Yeah. Yeah. When I need to get my clam out, I wear these shoes. (laughs) (laughs) You know. You mock them. I've never fallen over in them. They're oil resistant. Uh Um, They're awesome. Yeah, oil resistant. That's the the number one thing you worry about, right? (laughs) What Do you you ever get metal slivers, Reco? I never never do. I'm actually surprised at how... Not uh maybe every once in a while, but not honestly, not very often. Um 
I would expect there to be more slivery because I wash my work clothes with just the rest of my regular clothes. I'm always like, oh god, this is gonna be bad. I'm gonna end up with slivers in my <laughs> in my underwear. But I haven't had any problems, or I like it. I don't know one one way or the other. Who knows? But uh, it's you never bothered me. Clam. <laughs> I mean, gooch. Well, when you say when you say slivers, it's interesting because you get slivers from a couple different things. Okay. And the the only time I was ever getting real slivers was back in the day when we were using a lot of die grinders and we were cleaning welds on railings. Like mm. we were trying to get, you know, a lot of material out and we weren't using grinders. We were using, you know, the carbide burrs on a, you know, oh, yeah. a die grinder. And we would get sprayed with with uh with with slivers and I would get them in my fingers and I would get them in my clothes and but I don't get slivers on the with a grinder. And I don't really get slivers, maybe slivers when you're drilling, but I always wear an apron. I always have my shoe, make sure that my shoes are, you know, my pants are over my, the inside, the outsides of my shoes. I think maybe you might want to consider longer boots, longer boots in like boot cut jeans or something like that, where Mm -hmm. you're kind of making sure shit doesn't go down there. I don't understand why you would get them the bottoms of your feet unless you're, maybe you're changing your shoes in the shop. I don't know, man. I would, yeah. I would be pissed if I had like to get shit out of my feet from working in the shop. Yeah, yeah, strange one, strange one. Um, you know what? We haven't told everybody about TexasFarriersupply dot com. Everything you need as a knife maker, even if you're a farrier or a bladesmith or a blacksmith, whatever you want to call yourself, you're using metal. Head on over to TexasFarriersupply dot com. And they sell Indasa Rhinoat, which is the sandpaper of the champions. Um, it's the stuff to use. It saves you time, saves you money. They've got all the grits they could possibly need. Head on over to TexasFireSupply.com. Use Knife Talk 10 at checkout and get 10% off your entire order. So not just the Indasa Rhinoat, which you obviously need to fill your cart with, um, but lots of other stuff too. So go take a look. I have to finish off one last why me, why me, why me. Why does this always happen to me? This is Brindle, Brigham Kendall, once again, champion. Champion, I'm saying this as as he is a champion. He has always been a supporter, good guy. We're going to tell this story, and we're going to slap him on the back and say, you win. Why me? Why does this always happen? Why me? Why me? Why does this always happen to me? I was in the break room all by myself at a non-break time, so I let loose a fart. Next thing I know, <laughs> somebody. Next thing I know, a whole department comes in celebrating <laughs> someone's birthday, and they all start looking at me like I committed a war crime. Can a guy just fart in peace? Always happens. Brigham <laughs> Kindell, he's smoking people out. Yeah, fart in the lift as you leave. That's the, that's the, that's the yeah. That's oh, I t- I've ch- I do have a lift story actually. So. When we were back in Wales, um, we went to this like this kids resort place. You know, it's a soft play and all this kind of stuff there. And um, to get to one of the levels of soft play, there was there was a lift, Hell, an elevator, so, oh, an elevator. Okay. Sorry, yeah. So my wife goes in the elevator with the kids. There wasn't enough room for me as well. So I said, "Well, I'll take the stairs." So I ran up the stairs. The lift was still closing. So I, when the, when the, when the doors opened, I'm there with a stupid goofy face, like rah like that. It wasn't them. Oh it was the wrong God. left. So this, this this family was in there. Just saw this crazy bloke that rah as the doors opened. Um, but thankfully the other the other lift opened almost immediately, and everybody just laughed, and I just felt like a right dick. 
lift stories, perfect. eh? That's great. Lift stories. I thought that was going to be Look, a- before we go on to um, a, an after show party, after show party, after show party, an after show, um, there's a question here that I want to I grab. Um, we did this years ago, um, but I think it'd be good to refresh. EDC Gearhouse says, What's everyone's death row meal? Um, anything you'd like, be specific. I mean, we did this years and years ago. Um, it'd be good to know if it's changed. Jeff, Ugh. death row meal. Uh, you know, anything you want. I, I'm, mine's going to blow because my, my wife and kid are out. Uh, they're, in, uh, they're visiting uh, Hillary's uh, parents, and I've been home alone yesterday and today. And you'd think that I would be doing death row meals now, but it's like mm. the lamest of the lame. <laughs> like I, I was like <laughs> my, I had strawberries and kombucha last night watching fucking Namor. Oh, some fuck. bullshit. I would probably say my death roll meal. I probably be. It would probably be a steak. It would probably be a steak, medium rare, hash browns, cream spinach. Probably like that, like a like an old school Peter Luger's steakhouse situation. Uh, but then you start to think about like you know other things and Asian food and stuff like that. I, I'll go with the mm. classic steakhouse, and then if, sourced any sauce with the steak. I mean, if you're a fucking pussy, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, really? Well seasoned steak does sauce. What are you nuts? Salt okay. and pepper, baby. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I'll go with that. I'm not going to change it up. Morocco, death row meal. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some of the best meals I've ever had. And I think one of the best I I always reflect on was when I was visiting my wife before we got married. Um, and she was teaching in South Korea. And the city she lived in had this great um, beef barbecue place. And they're all about like the grills in the middle of the table and everything's cooked like right there in front of you. And they have this like spread of accoutrements of all these different sides and different things you can put together. And, and the, it was, it was so good. Uh, And it was actually one of the first meals I had when I went and visited her, it was a five week stay. So she's like, before I left, she was like, is there anywhere else you want to try to eat again before you leave? And I was like, I want to go back to that steak restaurant. And so we went there and it didn't fail. It was so good. And I don't know even what the cut was. um, But basically you start with like a big thick chunk of steak and you sear all the sides, like the grills ripping hot. And then you cut it in half and then you sear that fresh side and then you cut it in half and you keep breaking it down till you get down to these little bite sized pieces. And it is so good with all the different stuff they have there. I would love to have that. If I was about to die, I'd be happy to eat that for sure. You and I went to one of those places with, uh, with Tim music. Yeah. Right. JB yeah, Prince. Similar to that, yeah. Tim, uh, yeah, really good. Yeah, Japanese yeah. Korean barbecue is good stuff. What do you think, Craig? I bet you, I bet you're salivating. Your clams wet right now. Thinking about what you're definitely. <laughs> I got a wet clam. <laughs> no, um, do you know what it is? I, I think, um, like an Indian food. Um, really? We, I miss it when I'm when I'm back in France. I miss Indian food so much because it's you know it's everywhere in the UK. You can you can get it easily, but here in France they don't do spice very well at all. They do they do very good rich food and. And that kind of stuff. But when it comes to spice, they don't really do it well. Um, so, you know, I cook a little bit of spice at home, but I'm not, not the greatest. So something like a, 
lamb jar frizzy or something like that something you eat like peppers and you know the type that makes you sweat but really really tasty so yeah that's sort of what i'm craving at the moment so that would be my my death row meal. stuff that yep. makes you fart in the break room <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh geez a curry <laughs> fart no way no way right <laughs> with that i think that's a show thank you all for listening we shall speak to you all again bright and early next monday morning Ah, that was good. Ooh. That was good. That was I hope, funny. I hope my end didn't. Got a lot of stuff was. in there. Yeah. Got a lot of stuff in there. Lots of stuff. No, 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 no. You did it great. It's you fine. did great. Now, what's it's going fine. on with this thing? Mareko and I were reached out about uh, judging an event. Do you know Do you know any more about this, Mareko? Uh, yeah, I got a message. God, I can't, I can't think. I could go find the message. I can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head. Um, But yeah, there's, there's a Facebook group. Of a bunch of kind of newbie makers and um they're is that it? broken tower cutlery dorian i believe that's is his it name. broken yeah. tower cutlery. um and so he manages this group and they're doing a competition and then i i don't know all the rules but you can go check it out on their facebook page um but they're they're asking us if uh if we want to judge um i don't know what do you guys think What do you think, Craig? Judging a I judging, I guess it's like a new knife thing. Yeah, I I I got a bit of a problem with judging because I don't know who who is anybody to tell anybody how good their work is. You know, unless you can physically you know see it and use it, it it's, it's always going to be difficult, isn't it? So you're going on aesthetics, I suppose, and I don't know. It could be it could be really difficult, really difficult. Here's what's interesting: he was very Dorian was very smart. He shot it to me, and I, was, and I immediately said, well, you know, I don't really feel like a being in a position. I don't really want to be in a position of judgment because I would rather encourage people as opposed to, you know, saying this is better than that. I don't want to step on someone's – I don't want to step on someone's joy. You know what I mean? I don't want to make someone feel bad. I don't, I don't want to do yeah, it. Yeah. And then he said, well, you know, it's, you know, Mareka said – he said sounds, sounds like a good idea, and I didn't realize, and I started to think – Maybe it would be a good thing for us to do if there were like a very set guidelines in regards to if there was a set of guidelines that we were to do. Yeah, you got 31,000 Facebook people and all of a sudden we're going to be, you know, roasted on Facebook, which I mean, that ain't that doesn't sound so great to me. But at the same time, like if Mareko, you like the idea, maybe it's something we should look into. Might be fun. Yeah. You know, as long as. Sorry, go ahead. I was saying as long as we had very definitive guidelines and it wasn't like super duper speculative, like we'd have to have some, there would have to be some, I would want it to be fair and I'd want it to be encouraging and I wouldn't, I would want it to be, you know, I'd be down for it because you're down for it, Mareka. And then we're going to work, we'll work on Craig. I mean, we're, we're judging people nonstop on the show anyways, right? No, we're not, yeah, ju- no, we're not the, judging mean, people nonstop. This, we're judging, this, isn't, ju- this isn't like a, a visual medium, is it? You know, we're, we're a podcast and and trying to explain what something is doesn't always come across the best on a podcast. But Well, I don't think it's judging. I don't think it's judging on the podcast. I think we would be right, judges okay. off the podcast. I don't think this oh, isn't okay. like a TV okay. show, Craig. This would be like, you know, we would. I, Dorian's got to send us a guideline of what he expects of us as as a as as judges. I think it would be fun for the show. I think it would be good for him. I think it would be 
you know, it would be fun for us to kind of be in a position because we've never done that before. Sure. No. You know. Yeah, it could be. It could be fun. Could be yeah. fun. Um, but yeah, I'd be all about encouragement as opposed to saying, you know, picking holes in people's work. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's all so subjective too, right? I mean, and that's why I think Jeff, yeah, you yeah. want guidelines, right? But I think ultimately, like, I mean, what appeals to me isn't necessarily going to be what appeals to either of you guys. I, and so, yeah, yeah. But well, I mean, that's the interesting. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's like if we get some ideas of what their expect the expectations are. I think it might be, you know, we've never done this before. It might be fun. It might be fun for the show. It might be good, you know, be submitting ourselves to maybe new listeners. And I think we could. Mm-hmm. I think if we had guidelines, I think we could have a very, it could be very positive. Sure. But, um, you know, if Mareko was into it, I, all of a sudden I changed my tune. So I thought maybe, you know, it might be good for the show. So, okay. So, Dorian, if you're Let's listening to this, Let's if you're it. listening to this, Dorian, we're tentatively in. You got to give us some more guidelines. And, you know, I don't know, maybe we should announce the winner on Knife Talk because, you know, you got to get your listeners, you got to get your, 30,000 followers to listen to this show. Yeah. I, I do in think regards too, to us being judgmental. The only thing I'm judgmental about is other podcasts. Right. I, <laughs> right. That's fair. Uh, I, I was just going to say, I think a, a little bit, uh, or there's a little bit of deliberation period too. It's not like all the submissions come in and then the next day we have to come up with, or later that day we have to come up with a, a select winner. I think there's a little bit of time to deliberate. And so I think that also might be good for us to kind of talk through possibly on the show, but in general, um, just like our thought process and how we're deliberating. Maybe we could deliberate on the after show. We Ooh. could. Yes. We could have could the be, after yeah. show deliberation. Dorian. Yeah. Dorian. I give Dorian a lot of credit. He fucking smart. He scattershot all of us. He didn't just send it to one. He sent it to all three of us. So he had me. He fucking turned me. So Dorian is, he's a fucking clever dude. I'm with fucking Dorian. And he, he had me. He had me good. So yeah, shoot your let's, shot. Let's, 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 he did a good job. He, he's like, you know, I was like, oh, you already talked to, you talked to all three of us, you clever fuck. And I didn't think I said <laughs> fuck, but I said, you clever bastard. And he's just, well, you know what we could do? I mean, these are all going to be based on images of, obviously, of, of the knives. Um, so what we could do, if we're going to be talking about them on the after show, um, whilst we deliberate, we could all share them on, on the Knife Talk Instagram yeah. as well and maybe get some, get some comments from, uh, from, yeah. our, I don't, we don't too. want to, in, you know, I used getting comments from our listeners sometimes is, you know, <laughs> it's, it might not be right. as encouraging as we will be. You know, some of, some of you motherfuckers yeah. are a little bit like, you know, you know, a little bit too much clam talk and not enough knife talk. You know what I'm saying? Quite yeah. so, true. Quite true. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. It could be right, fun. Dorian, it could be fun. The ball's in your court. Yeah. What and else I think if people on? are interested possibly in doing this thing, if you go to broken underscore tower underscore culinary on Instagram, he's got a link on his profile that goes to the uh the competition. Yeah. And um cool. what else are we gonna say? Uh, and then the Facebook group is called what is it? New knife make beginner it's knife called, makers. Yeah, it's like uh that? knife making for beginners. On Instagram, or sorry, on right. Facebook. Right. Speaking of which, there's speaking of, of Facebook, there's a slight controversy that I'm going to keep perpetuating. Which oh you, know, you know how you know yeah. Oh, dude. So Nick Rossi has a super secret uh, society on Facebook, 
and some people aren't happy about it. And I'm a member <laughs> of that secret society, and I'm fucking happy about it, you know. So you want to get involved with the Nick Rossi super secret. I don't know what to fucking call them. It's a super secret society, and uh, I got to figure it out. I don't find it. It's a fucking is that, is that so, so that's not literally yeah, no, what it's called? That's it. <laughs> Oh, is it, it's 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 a no, it's like a secret school of bladesmithing or something like that. It's crazy, and he's just like you know, you gotta you know you gotta you either have to take one of his classes or do one of his online classes. I guess, yeah. and you get like admission into this secret society, and it's and he's he says people are mad about it, so keep making people mad about it. So here I am, Nick. I'll be your fucking Huckleberry. So it's you know, the Illuminati of you know bladesmith classing. So. <laughs> There you go. There we go. Well, look, that's a show. That's a show. We've given you over 90 minutes of quality entertainment once again. Um, please stick with us, and we shall speak to you again next week. Bye. Let me hit stop. That was good. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.